Welcome to the Mar Experience, Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. With four children, a career as a full-time nurse, and a full-blown addiction to pills, Michelle spent her days rushing from one crisis to the next. She only agreed to get help because she didn't want to be sick anymore. While in treatment at Mar, she started to see that she had never sat still long enough to feel her feelings. And when she did, she couldn't identify what her feelings were. She began to learn how to experience her emotions by accepting the help that the counselors and her community members extended to her. Through this process, she also began to accept that she was not a bad person, like her shame had been telling her. She was just somebody who needed some help. So I had um, an opiate addiction. I was addicted to prescription pain pills in addition to lots of other pills um, towards the end. Um, and my husband came to me and said that he had figured out that that was what was going on. It had been a secret for eight years. Nobody knew that I was, was dealing with that. Um, which looking back is just unbelievable. Um, he was the only one who knew he, my parents started having concerns probably six months before they spoke to him. Um, and so he had already spoken to the people at Mar. He had talked to Lauren, I think, in the admissions office, um, and he just felt really comfortable with her. He had talked to a lot of different people at a lot of different treatment centers. So he immediately felt like she was somebody who he could trust and that could help. Um, and so he asked that that morning um, if I would just be willing to go talk to her. Um, and at that point, um, I had run out of pills and I had no way to get them that morning, um, which I believe now was an act of God that that happened the way that it did. Um, and so because I was at the end of my rope, I agreed to come in and talk to Lauren. Um, I was not very nice to her. <laughs> um, but she was just so um, patient and went through a lot of questions with me. Um, and reluctantly, I agreed to go to detox and decide later if I was going to come tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Um, some other amazing God things that happened when I was at detox. Um, I met a, a gentleman, and he and I agreed we were the most sane people there, which is just funny because he and I are not the most sane people in any other rooms. Um, <laughs> and he was going to Mar. And um, so that gave me this sense that, like, okay, if he's the only other sane person here and he thinks this is a good idea, maybe it is. Um, and there was a woman who worked at the um, detox facility I went went to who had been to Mar. Um, she had kids like I did. Um, she was a nurse, which I am, and her um, drug of choice was pills also. And... Um, so I truly believe that God put her there that day, and I made the decision that day to go to Mar. Had you tried to quit or do any sort of 12-step fellowship or anything like that? I had not. I had tried to quit on my own. Um, I always tell this story that I found recently a calendar from 2015. I didn't get sober until 2017. And every week in the whole year calendar, there was days I had written how I was going to quit every single week for an entire year. Um, and I always tried to do it on my own. I thought if I could just, you know, control it, um, that it would work, and it never did. Um, I had never asked for help from anyone. Um, I think I was just too prideful. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, any times that I tried to quit, it was it was always on my own, and I would detox in my house for – I would. my goal was always five days. Always. And I never made it to five days. 
in eight years. Um, so that was the only way that I knew was by myself. So you've been pretty trying pretty consistently for about eight years? To... I think I'd probably only tried to quit for the last maybe three or four. Okay. Um, after um, my my son was born, oh gosh, I don't remember what year now. Um, <laughs> I can't remember That's what year a... he was born. He's five now, so that would be 2014. Yeah, there you go. Um, I have four kids, so it's a lot oh, to keep wow. up with who was born when. Yeah, right. Um, so the year that he was born, I had lost my job because of my my drug use. Um, and at that time was when I really started trying to quit because that was the first, like, major consequence that I had had. Mm. A nursing job? It was a nursing job. Okay. I worked at a hospital. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, they, and actually, they offered me help at that time, and I refused. Mm. So, um, and did your, did your family start kind of, was that when they started kind of catching on, like there might be something going on here? I actually at that time was was had convinced my family that I was in a lot of pain, and that's why I was taking the the pain medicine that I was. And being the addict that I am, I was such a good manipulator that they honestly believed me and didn't know the extent of it. Um, and so I was able to make enough excuses that they didn't really ask any questions. When I initially started using, um, I had had, between my second and third kid, I had three miscarriages in one year, and I had to have surgery for all of those. Um, and so I think there was, at no point was I using the pain medicine to treat physical pain. It was always emotional pain mm. I gotcha. from the beginning. So then by the time you end up getting here, you tried for three years. And that's such a powerful thing you said about the calendar. What a um, valuable document to have mm -hmm. now yeah. to see um, our resources marshaled by the will were insufficient or whatever <laughs> yeah, it says in the absolutely. big book. Absolutely. Like you, you were really trying and you have it in writing. Mm -hmm. um, so and then you, you come here and – you, sh you said you're feeling pretty hopeless. Are like, what? Yeah, can you kind of tell us what else was going on in your mind at that moment? Yeah, I think that um, I didn't know if I was ever going to get my normal life back. Um, I didn't know what my normal life was, <laughs> but I wanted it back, and I didn't know that that was possible. I thought um, one of the main things I was hopeless about was my relationship with my teenage daughter, and I had so much fear that she was never going to forgive me. Um, I thought that I would never be a nurse again. I thought that because I had let my license lapse during my addiction, and so I thought I would never be a nurse again. I thought I had lost my relationship with my daughter. I had alienated myself from all of my friends, and I just didn't see how any of that was going to get better. There must have been some hope there, though, for you to actually go to the detox. Even even mm -hmm. though you're just like, okay, I'll just go to the detox for now. But was there something that happened in the assessment? Or was it just the fact that your husband kind of saw something? Like, what was the – was there any sort of spark that you felt in terms of like, well, this might work or I don't have any options? What was kind of the – Willing, how would you describe the willingness to just go to the detox? I think that at that point, I just didn't want to be sick anymore. I had been so sick, and so I did have hope 
that I wouldn't have to be sick. You know, that was one of the things that Lauren told me, they'll help you at the detox to to minimize the sickness because that was the thing that I couldn't, no matter how strong-willed I was, I couldn't make it through the sick part. Um, and so really, honestly, when I went, that was my only hope was that I wouldn't be sick. And looking back now, like my the blessings that I've gotten, I'm like, how could I have been so short-sighted? that all I wanted was just not to be sick, not to have the full life that I have now. Mm-hmm. You you described what the detox was. You have that ounce of willingness, well, at least I'll maybe stop being sick. Mm-hmm. And then you meet this guy there, open up to the idea of Mar. What was your first idea or what was your first day of being at Mar like? Um, it was interesting. Um, I got there and this woman said, what's your drug of choice? And I looked at her like I I knew none of the lingo about anything to do with recovery. And so I'm like, I do pills. And she said, oh, yay, another pill head. And she hugged me. And I'm like, what kind of weird universe am I in right now that someone just hugged me because I'm addicted to pills? <laughs> um, but the the women there were, were so nice and they seemed happy, which I, I wasn't expecting any of that. I just – I think I was kind of expecting to go to – where I was at detox for 90 days. Like that was what I was picturing was like this very institutional, you know, kind of feeling. Um, the staff was so welcoming. The The women, all of them, when I met them, they hugged me. Um, it was just completely different than I imagined. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so you were, and you were living in the town home there, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how was that like? adjusting to having a roommate and all that stuff? Um, I think because I have four kids, it felt very peaceful to me Mm. to be there. Um, I wasn't used to quiet ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really just felt peaceful to me when I was there. It was, you know, a nice living situation. It was comfortable. I felt safe, which, you know, was one of the things that – that scared me about going to treatment was I'm going to feel unsafe. And like physically I felt very safe there. And was it hard to make that adjustment to, because usually you're the nurse, you're the caregiver. Was that a difficult switch to make? Absolutely. One of the the funniest things about being, you know, in treatment with these other women who are just as sick as I am um, is not only am I a nurse, but I'm a mom. And so I was reminded constantly that I wasn't there to take care of anyone else, mm-hmm. um, which initially was hard, but was a relief after a little amount of time that that I didn't have to take care of anybody else while I was there. I just had to focus on myself, which I hadn't done in a very long time. Why do you think that's so hard for people to, to not want to, I mean, yeah, to not want to jump in and, and try and help other people? Like what's so, why is that so counterintuitive? Um, I think for me that it's a more about, you know, I have always been able to take care of other people. I have always been, you know, I've, I'm able to take care of my children. I feel like I'm good at it. I'm able to be a nurse. I'm able to take care of other people. But I had never been taught how to take care of myself. It's just not something that that came naturally to me. Um, I think I one of my greatest desires is to feel useful. And um, so it's it's hard to to realize that I'm being useful when I'm taking mm-hmm. care of myself. You're you're in the medical field, so I'm sure you knew something about it, but like what was your your exposure or education in terms of d- addiction as a disease or or looking at addiction kind of from more of 
that perspective? Yeah, I think um, my my dad was an alcoholic growing up, and he passed away when I was little. But, like, I was taught from a very young age about addiction and about how it was a disease. Um, but I think because of, you know, resentment at my dad, I didn't believe that. Like, I knew it, you know, logically. But because of my emotions, I didn't really believe it. Um, and I actually had other people later in my life who, you know, suffered with alcoholism, and I didn't believe that for them either. And so I think it made it even harder to believe that for myself. So, yeah, what was the process of that like in terms of coming to acceptance of that? Or Honestly, it was working through a whole lot of shame because I think that shame is what drove me to believe that I was a bad person and not that I had the disease of addiction. Um, and so, I mean, there were so many times that – that I would, you know, in groups at Mar, or even just with the women there, talk through the reasons why I felt like, you know, I was a bad person, not that I had a disease. Um, and thankfully, a lot of the women that were there when I got there had been there for a good amount of time. And so they had already experienced those things and were able to, you know, take the things they had learned before I got there and help me work through, through those things. Um, and I think that along with, you know, coming into Alcoholics Anonymous and seeing all of these people um, who I didn't believe were bad people. I believe they were wonderful people and hearing the things that, that brought them shame that they had had done in their addiction. In terms of your career and all that, where were you, where was your head at in terms of like going back to being a nurse? Is that something that feel felt like really remote and impossible or? Absolutely. Um, you know, when I got to Mar, they said that they had the, you know, ARP, the Atlanta Recovering Professionals, and that I was going to be a part of that. And I said, I don't need to go to that. I'm never going to be a nurse again. Um, and I think partly because my addiction was wrapped up in things that involved medicine, you know, <laughs> like, and so it just seemed like I have to leave that part of my life behind. And um, especially because I had been fired from a nursing job, I had let my license lapse, I didn't even know what I needed to do to get my license back. Um and they said, no, you're going to this group. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I listened. And, um, you know, I met – I was in a group with a lot of nurses who had had a lot of the same experiences that I had. Um, I still didn't believe it was possible for me. And I think that's kind of something that I've experienced a lot in recoveries. I see that it's possible for you. I don't see that it's possible for me. Um but one of the things that was said to me from the very beginning was, you know, we can't control the outcome. We can just do the next right thing. Um, and so slowly, slowly but surely, I did the next right thing. Um, and I worked with, you know, the staff at MAR. Um, even after I left there, they, you know, have worked with me. And I got my license back about six months ago, and I'm working as a nurse now. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. Thank you. So what's it like to be back now? Um, it's... I'm, I have a job that's a, a lot lower stress than what I did previously. I worked in labor and delivery, which was a very high-stress job. Um, and the job I have now is very relaxed and not technically challenging. Um, I had worked myself to the bone before. You know, I would work five 12-hour shifts in a row sometimes at night and then try to take care of my kids. I mean, I just – I didn't have any balance in my life. Um and so now I work one or two days a week, and um, it just feels good to to do what I I, went, I worked so hard in nursing school, and like it just 
makes me sad that I ever let that dream go because I worked so hard for it. Um, and so I just feel so blessed that that I've gotten that back in my life. That intense, that's an intense work schedule that you were describing. <laughs> Not all the time, yeah. but like there were certainly times that that I was working like that. And do you see that now looking back on it, do you see that as tied in with your addiction, alcoholism? Yeah, absolutely. I think um I think because I always felt less than, you know, that's like a common theme with with alcoholics is that we feel less than. And I think I always felt like I was kind of hustling for my worth, you know. And and that was a way, like I said, that I felt useful when I was being a nurse. And so it was like, this feels good. You know, like this, this makes me okay. Um, and towards the end, I, you know, couldn't keep up with that because of my addiction. Um, but for a long time, I felt like, okay, this is something I know I can do well, so I'm just going to do it a whole lot. And was it like um, similar to opiates or or alcohol where you needed higher amounts of validation. Absolutely. And... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, nothing is ever enough, you yeah. know, <laughs> never enough. That's why I have four kids. Right. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. Couldn't get enough. Right. So it's like, you, you know, if you were working f at first, maybe working 40 hours a week was like, okay, I feel useful. But then it's like, well, I need to up it a little bit and, mm -hmm. and I need to have another kid so that. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Anything to escape from how I was actually feeling. Wow. And then so when was it when you finally got to Mar or was it not until you got to Mar that you were able to slow down and feel what was underneath yes, all that hustling? Yes, it was so painful in the beginning. Um, you know, I we have this, you know, feeling wheel. I'm sure you all have mm -hmm. it here at the Men's Center. Um, and for the first probably – maybe two weeks, 30 days, I couldn't even figure out what my feeling was. I mean, I would sit there like, maybe I'll just pick one so they leave me alone, you know, because I, I had no idea what I was actually feeling, um, which is crazy to me now because I can always think of how I'm feeling now. Um, but I had such a hard time identifying what I was even feeling. Um, and the staff was really helpful to, you know, have me say a thought and they could help me get to where what the feeling was underneath that thought. I could have a lot of, you know, thoughts, but I couldn't identify what the feeling was under that. I think that's that's really powerful, really well stated. It's like the people I think in, in active addiction, it's like you get so separated from what's actually going on with mm -hmm. you. It's just kind of like crisis response, crisis right, response. Right. And so like it's I think that's very common from what I've seen. Uh, for people to not even know, like for that to be an impossible question to even answer, like <laughs> yeah. what, what, how are you feeling? You know. Mm -hmm. um, so was that? Did that process? Was there some relief in when you started to be able to identify like what was going on with you and address that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that I had a lot of sadness that I had never addressed. I had anger that I had never addressed. <laughs> Um, I had just numbed, you know, I had always numbed those emotions. I even had joy that I had never addressed, you know. Um, the the good things in life I had numbed also. Um, and so when I was able to feel, you know, any emotion, it just it felt foreign. And then the the more I practiced it, um, I I enjoyed having emotions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I enjoyed having feelings. Even the difficult ones? Um 
I mean, not initially, but I think the release that I got from admitting, you know, how I was actually feeling. Like, I I remember the first time I said that I was angry at something. And it was one of the, the staff at MAR kind of pressed me, like, what is the emotion? You know, what is the emotion? And finally I said, I'm really angry. And, like, you know, tears just flowed from me. And it was such, like, a relief to be like, it's okay for me to say that I'm angry. Um and then we could kind of work through what that was, and I and and I didn't have to stay angry. <laughs> right, right. And everyone didn't run out of the room when you <laughs> <know>. said because <laughs> that's what our minds tell us. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. If I say that, they're going to kick me out of here. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of that, what happens here, is like people getting to take a risk on being who they are mm-hmm. or yeah. feeling whatever they're feeling or yeah and one of the things that they worked on the most with me was that emotional honesty because i had gotten so good at saying i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine i'm even great you know like i had gotten really good at that i think the first week that i was at mar every time they asked how i was feeling i said content nobody is content their first week in treatment <laughs> nobody it is so uncomfortable you know there's all these emotions coming back and i i'm content i'm content every single day <laughs> wow so like working on that emotional honesty and sometimes i would catch myself like you know how are you feeling fine no i'm not you know mm-hmm. i'm sad i'm mad i'm whatever the emotion was. Like, did you really think you were fine when you were I think I did. I think I was in a lot of denial. And, um, you know, there were certainly times where I felt not okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I had convinced myself, you know, you have to be fine. Like, there's not another choice. You have to be fine. And so I believed it for a long time. And I'm sure that hooks in, too, with having the uh, four kids to, to watch over and help and take care of. And it's like... You, you can't afford to not, in your mind at least, like, right. I can't afford to not be fine. I've got four lives depending right, on me. Right. So did they work with you at all on that with, you know, in terms of the piece of this, like being a mom and mm-hmm. all the struggles that come with that in terms of being in recovery? Did they... Did they address that with you at the Women's Center? Yeah. You know, I was really blessed that there was a lot of women when I was there who also had children. Um, and so, you know, while I was there, we... Since we live close, um, my kids were able to meet with the family counselor at Mar, um, <clears throat> and I was able to meet with the family counselor at Mar about you know stuff that that had to do with my children, and um, I think that was was really big that my kids. You know, they always said I went to the doctor. Um, that's what, 90 days at the doctor. Um, <laughs> but that was something that they understood, the young mm-hmm. ones. Um and so they were getting education at the same time that I was. Um, my teenage daughter actually was able to come to our family week, um, which was so impactful for both of us, um, for her to to be able to be here and get all the education that she did. Um, and I think started a really important conversation that we were able to continue after I left. Oh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did she... She probably took away a lot, too, in terms of, like, understanding the disease. and Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I have talked to her since then, and she didn't, didn't know that it was drugs that I was dealing with, but she, you know, knew that I wasn't really okay. Um, and so I think coming here and learning about not only the disease, but um, the 
the reasons that that people numb with drugs and alcohol, you know, and for her, that's been really important to see, you know, it is important for us to address how we're feeling. um, Because anytime we want to change the way we feel, we're going to find some behavior, whether it's drugs or alcohol or anything else. Um, And so I think it was able to give her some insight into how in her life, you know, that could be applied. Mm -hmm. And do you remember, because I remember you were saying, um, the, a kind of common theme for you was like, well, I can see this is working for you, but it's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when a moment where that kind of switched for you where you thought, oh, wait, maybe this, like where something kind of clicked in a group or in an interaction with a community member where you thought started thinking like, oh, wait, maybe this this might work for me. Yeah, you know, when I went to my first AA meeting, I wouldn't pick up a white chip. I wouldn't do it. I still don't have one. Uh, <laughs> I have two years. I still don't have a white chip. Um, why? Why wouldn't you do it? I don't. I don't really know. You know, uh-huh. the the community would. You know, go get a white chip. No, I'm not going to do that. But I remember when I got my 30 day chip. Like I remember that was the first chip I had ever picked up, and everybody clapping. And you know, it's such a hoopla sometimes. And like. I felt like, okay, maybe maybe I really can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, that was one of those moments where I felt, you know, and they were all so supportive and loving, and um, it felt like a, a big deal. Mm-hmm. And like I said, my goal was five days ever, and mm-hmm. so 30 days just seemed like an eternity. Um, and I felt like, yeah, this this might work for me. Did you kind of just have to make a deal with yourself, like I'm going to do this stuff even though I don't? see how it could be helpful? Yeah, I think for me, it started with, you know, the first weekend I was there, I had a really hard time um, just being away from home. And, you know, I, I just, I just had a really hard weekend. And in that moment, the, the director actually called and spoke to me, the director of the women's center called and spoke to me. And the way that she spoke to me and the things that she said, she was so knowledgeable, she was so compassionate. Mm. Um, And so I've, said for a long time, like, my willingness to trust them was what, you know, got me through treatment. It started that day, and I decided this is somebody that I can trust. I'm going to do what they say. Wow. And you said that was your first weekend? It was, yeah. You know, it was one of those things where I, I, again, I couldn't say how I was feeling, Mm -hmm. but she could say, you know, it sounds like you're feeling. And then it was like, yes, that is how I'm feeling. Like, I just felt like she knew what I was going through. Um, and she knew how to make it better. Mm-hmm. You know, she she was able to calm me down when usually when I had gotten that upset, nothing could calm me down except for getting high. <laughs> like that was mm-hmm. the only thing. And she was able to speak to me in a way that I understood and that I was able to, you know, calm down and, and focus back on what was going on in the present. Wow. And so then as you're progressing through the program and you're starting to feel or see um, – Newer people come in. What's that transition like? It was really interesting. Um, I always got really excited when we got new people. Um, And I think, you know, again, I had to go back to I'm not there to take care of them. Um, But getting to to give back, um, because like I said, when I got there, they were so welcoming. And that was like the standard that was set. You know, like when someone gets here, we just surround them in love. Um, And so getting to do that for other people was really good. 
um, one of my closest friends now came in towards the end of my treatment, and she always tells the story that she got creeped out by me because I was always smiling at her. <laughs> We're very good friends now. Um, but that I was just so excited for somebody else to come experience what, what I had experienced there. Wow, that's so cool. And that's within the first 90 days yeah, or whatever? Yeah. Wow. So it kind of... Something, a spark kind of got lit pretty early for yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Did they work with you in terms of like transitioning and like thinking about what's life going to be like when I go back? And um, Yeah, one of the good things is because I lived so close, um, you know, we would meet and talk about my plan going forward and pretty much everything was staying the same except for I was going to get to be at home with my kids. Um, you know, I went to the same meetings. I came to aftercare. I came to ARP. Um, I spent a lot of time with the women who were still there. Um, and so not really much in my life changed in the beginning, except for that I got to sleep at home with my kids. I think that's that's something that a lot of people don't realize about Mar, just how involved the alumni are. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah. So even though you weren't uh, technically a patient there anymore, you're still going to the groups. You're still oh, yeah. seeing the therapists. Yeah. Yeah. I still see my therapist now from when I was oh, at Mar. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and I still go to aftercare. I still go to ARP. Um, you know, so much of my life is, is wrapped up in, in Mar and the women that are there. And, um, you know, I sponsor women that are there now. Like, it's just, it is other than my children, like those are my people, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. and so important to me. That's so cool. Wait, and what's it like now to sponsor people? It's, I love sponsoring women. I mean, it is, um, number one, it's a really good um, reminder of, of what it was like um, to hear the pain when they first come in. Um, I don't wish that pain on anyone, but I need to be reminded of it. Um and number two, like, like I said, it makes me feel useful. Um, and today that's in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, every time that I have gone through the steps with a woman, I feel like I'm kind of going through them again. You know, like I'll read with the in the big book with them and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that part. You mm-hmm. know, like it's just I feel like I understand now why why that's what keeps people sober is, you know, going through all of this stuff with someone else. Um it benefits my life in a in an amazing way. That's awesome. Um, so, what would you, if you could pass anything on to people that are listening, what would it be? Um, I think one of the the most important things that um, that I needed to hear was that it's okay to ask for help, no matter what your job is, no matter how many children you have, no matter how many people rely on you. Um, like ask for help, ask for what you need. Um, and I think if I had, you know, learned that sooner, um, a lot of, a lot of the things that I was trying to control were falling apart, you know, and if I had asked for help, those things (laughs) could have stayed intact. Mm -hmm. So. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for coming. Absolutely. Great talking with you. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our show is co-produced by Angela Edmonds and our executive producer is David Tate. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.